Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. Today we'll be learning Yoma 68. A good portion of today's Daf discusses issues related to the choreography of the dismemberment of the Yom Kippur sacrifice. At the end of yesterday's Daf, there is a Mishnah that describes this in vivid detail. Meanwhile, the high priest came to the bull, the par, and goat, seir, which are to be burned. He tore them open and removed their innards. He put them into a dish and offered them up on the altar. He then twisted the limbs of the beast on poles, and they carried them out to the place of burning. The Gemara addressed a few questions regarding this procedure, but focused a bit more on the next clause in the Mishnah. And when do they impart uncleanliness to clothing, who carry out the limbs of the goat and the bull? Impurity was a very important concept in both the biblical and rabbinic periods, with impurity imparted by a dead animal corpse being one of the highest levels of impurity. It is therefore not surprising that both the Mishnah and the Gemara address this issue. The Gemara discussed at length the layout of the Israelite camp in the desert, attempting to delineate at what exact time the priest became unclean. While these were important issues in ancient Israel, I would like to focus more on two Mishnahs that are found on our daf. The first Mishnah is the last Mishnah of chapter 6 of Tractate Yoma. And it reads the following. They said to the high priest, the goat has reached the wilderness. Now how did they know that the goat had come to the wilderness? They made guard posts and waved flags so that they might know that the goat had reached the wilderness. Rabbi Judah said, now, did they not have a more impressive sign than that? From Jerusalem to Beit Chidudu is three miles. They can walk a mile, come back a mile, and wait sufficient time to walk another mile, so they will know that the goat has reached a wilderness. Rabbi Yishmael says, Now, did they not have another sign? There was a crimson thread tied to the door of the sanctuary. When the goat had reached a wilderness, the thread would turn white. As it says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The verse from Isaiah chapter 1, 18. According to the description found in the Mishnah, communicating the exact stages of the Yom Kippur ritual was very important. Atonement is a serious business and they wanted to keep on top of what was happening. How could they know when the scapegoat made its way into the wilderness? They had established a line of guard posts that would serve as signal posts in essence, establishing a system of communication stations. They used the tried and trusted method of flag waving. When the goat was brought into the wilderness, the farthest station raised the flag, then the next one in line would raise a, raise a flag, and so on. But the Mishnah was not satisfied with this method. Wasn't there a more impressive and better way to notify people of what was going on? How about actual human messengers? That seemed to be okay until they came up with an even more impressive system, the good old crimson thread. You may remember that we already mentioned the crimson thread that was used to signify that the process of atonement had been accepted. Well, in this Mishnah, Rabbi Yishmael relies upon this method. Quote, 
There was a crimson thread tied to the door of the sanctuary. When the goat had reached a wilderness, the thread would turn white. As it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The chapter ends with the, Mish- with the Gemara saying, As soon as the goad has reached a wilderness, its commandment had been fulfilled. The desire to know what was going on was not driven by a neutral curiosity. Rather, it was driven by the desire to know when the mitzvah had been fulfilled. The Mishnah that begins the seventh chapter of Yoma describes another ritual of Yom Kippur, the reading of the relevant portions from the Torah. And I read from the Mishnah. The high priest came to read in the woman's court, the Ezrat Nashim. If he wanted to read while wearing linen garments, he reads wearing them. If not, he reads wearing his own white vestment. The assistant, the chazan of the community, takes the scroll of the Torah and gives it to the head of the community, and the head of the community gives it to the assistant of the priests, and the assistant gives it to the high priest. The high priest rises and receives it and reads, After the death of the sons of Aaron, from Leviticus chapter 16. And now the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement, from Leviticus chapter 23. Then he rolls up the Torah and holds it to his heart and says, More than what I have read out before you is written here. And on the tenth, from Numbers chapter 29, which is in the book of Numbers, he reads by heart. Then he says eight blessings over it. For the Torah for the temple service, for the confession, for the forgiveness of sin, for the sanctuary by itself, for Israel by themselves, and for the priests by themselves, and for the rest of the prayer. These are important descriptions of the non-sacrificial aspect of the Yom Kippur observance, and some scholars have addressed this description within the larger context of the history of Jewish worship. Some scholars understood this description as an example of the spiritualization of the temple service. While the sacrificial service on Yom Kippur still existed, already during the Second Temple period, a text and ritual-centered observance of Yom Kippur began to take hold. And not only were biblical texts recited, but there were also numerous blessings that were recited. Daniel Stokel ben Ezra, a European scholar of ancient Judaism, who has researched the history of Yom Kippur, summarized this approach in the following words. Blood sacrifices were amended by readings of their prescriptions and by prayers containing a request for the very same purpose as the sacrifices, forgiveness of sins. Meaning that in addition to the sacrifices themselves, there were numerous liturgical texts whose meaning was parallel and exactly the same as the sacrificial system itself. While this may have been an accepted approach to the Mishnah in previous generations of scholarship, today many scholars reject this reading of the text. This literal reading of the text as a loyal description of what happened on Yom Kippur during the Second Temple period has been replaced by a more skeptical approach to the historicity of the narrative descriptions that are found in the Mishnah. No longer are these seen as descriptions of what actually happened in the temple, but rather as either echoes of distant memories or projections from the post-temple synagogue back into the temple itself. While neither approach has enough evidence to totally disprove the other, what they both may share is an appreciation of the development of Jewish practice and ritual. There may be a very fundamental disagreement about what happened when and by whom, but both appreciate the development of Yom Kippur beyond the description centered around sacrifices found in the Torah. 
Thank you for listening to the Daily Duff Differently, and I hope that you tune into tomorrow's Duff. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Duff Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.